Welcome to Metacosm, a new podcast from Metatron Press that features long-form, in-depth conversations with poets and writers. In this series, we dive into writers' psyches and try to understand what draws people to this ancient art form, exploring and defining what impulses and experiences drive their practice. Curated and hosted by Metatron author and editor Brad Casey, Metacosm carves out a sonic space for intimate understandings of what it means in contemporary times to write. Hey, so in this episode, I'm talking with Stephen Thomas, who Stephen's an old friend of mine. Um, We met around 2014, 2015. Uh, I was running a small press literary magazine called The Four Poets, and our concept was we would give people 20 pages to do kind of whatever they wanted. Um, And we asked Stephen to do something, and he um, gave us this really uh, amazing series of interviews. Um, But from there, we might have met before, but from there we became closer friends. Uh, In 2016, he put out a book with Book Hug called uh, The Jokes, which is a collection of flash fiction that he wrote uh, during his time studying creative writing at the University of Alabama um, in Tuscaloosa. Um, Stephen also co-wrote and starred in and produced uh, a web series called Miss Misery. He's published by McSweeney's. Um, He's had a handful of uh, articles and essays that have done very well. Um, some of which we talked about in this interview, including Legion Lonely, which is an essay he did for Hazlitt and was their most popular, one of the most popular articles they published that year, but it's uh, specifically about loneliness in men. Um, He's, in the last few years, lived in London and New York and LA. Currently he's in New York. Um, So at the start of this interview, we start talking about Times Square and Altlit and some of the literary, some of the things coming out of New York right now in the literary scene. Um, We talk a little bit about effective altruism, which is something uh, that he's been getting into recently. We talk some about influence. We talk about alleviating the pressure to write. uh, And also uh, we talk about his time going to university in Alabama um, and uh, about sort of the difficulties of writing a novel and stalling on the writing of a novel. Um, And then finally we talk about Weird Facebook, which was this small window of time where a lot of writers were connecting through Facebook by just writing strange, weird, sort of performative posts, um, which became a very loose community. Uh, And then we talk about social media itself as a necessity for book sales and for being a writer, whether it's important or not, and whether or not it even has an effect. Um, but yeah, so I love Stephen, and I was really happy to talk to him. And uh, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, so this is Stephen Thomas. Um, enjoy. <laughs> concert um on friday uh haven't been to a concert in a long time yeah uh i went to a play like went to the dime square play like basically the first second night i was here okay how was it uh i thought it was pretty good yeah yeah it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't mind-blowing it wasn't terrible yeah uh yeah do you um yeah it was do you know anything about it not really i haven't been keeping up i haven't i shouldn't even use the term keeping up i haven't been interested in at all the dime square stuff it seems like 
bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I can't really speak to <clears throat> like the literary scene in New York, but it, I had, cause I'm not there, so I don't know what's going on, sure. uh, but I've heard not good things. And also everything that's been coming out of that, I had this thought at one point that what I used to really like about upcoming New York writing is it would be writers making pieces of work that was kind of like, look at how fucked up my life is. Uh -huh. Now it seems like people who are part of this Times Square thing, they're writing pieces that's like, look how fucked up everybody else is. And that's really not that interesting to me. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. To be honest, I don't even know if I know who like the writers associated with that world are. Yeah, yeah. And we don't have to go into particular people. Sure. Um, but I, I, I read a review of the Dime Square play um, from uh, a writer who I like, like and respect. Um, uh, what's her name? B.D. McClay. Uh, and she like, actually, she was basically reviewing a different play, uh, which she liked more. But at the end of it, she was like, it's interesting to compare this to the Times Square play, which was like fine and decent, uh, but it wasn't it like this other play was like more like traditional drama or something. And oh. she was like the Times Square play. It seems like those people would say like, oh, you can't do that anymore. Like you, you have to be ironic or something. Uh -huh. uh, and so it's interesting in that context. She was like, you can still do normal, like a normal family drama set in Texas and it can be awesome. Uh -huh. Right. But within, within the scope of that, she was saying like, it wasn't the, the Dime Square play wasn't like bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's ironic. I guess it's like arch or knowing like it's, it's like, it was very referential. It was like, it was like, it was really like. It was made for people who are like on Twitter 24 seven. And like, it was, it was like updated, like who would, um, I think Barbara, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name. Aaron, right. Had, I think that was the day I saw it. Oh, um, interesting. And, and like her, like her death was like referenced in the dialogue that day. Oh, weird. Yeah. And like thing like, you know, they'd say like, are the, are the, are the podcast people coming? And you like knew who they were referring to. And then they'd talk about like the guy who calls everyone a fascist on Substack, And like, uh, like I knew who they were talking about. So it, yeah. it was, and like, that's not, I guess that's not ironic, but it's, it's, it emphasizes like references rather than maybe other kinds of substance. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like there was like a whole, maybe like 2015, 2016, there was a lot of writing that was just sort of like very reference based, you know, there'd be like a lot of pop culture in poetry. There'd be like a lot of, um, younger writers who were trying to like pull pop culture into poetry and literature to make it less stale. But I feel like that's become kind of passe now, hasn't it? Like it feels stale to have a bunch of references, a bunch of pop culture references in your work. Mm -hmm. I guess that it was like kind of correlated with like alt lit, maybe not exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, shoplifting from American apparel is kind of exactly that, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah I wasn't around for all lit. That was like just before I started getting involved in writing. Um, it was funny though, like as that was happening, like I kind of, I guess like through my, my interest in, uh, in David Foster Wallace at the time, I got in, I like sort of like read backwards into like who his peers were, like when he was coming up in like the eighties. And um, there was some book, I totally forget the guy's name and the name of the book. But I like read it because he was like a guy that like David Foster Wallace would kind of like make fun of or say like, this is 
what I'm trying to get away from. And it was exactly that. It was like a whole novel that was like way more like referential and like brand names and stuff than like even anything that came out uh, during Altlet. Um, And I guess maybe that was also a bit of a thing in the 80s. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's cycles of that. Right. Like it seems like an attempt to make uh, pop culture and literature sort of on the same level. Totally, totally. Um, but anyway, let's talk about something else. Uh, uh, New York's good. Are you doing any writing in New York? I am, actually. Um, I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm very busy, but also I don't know how to like, I guess my, my like a good part of my attention has gone into um, a whole other like stream of things uh which we like probably doesn't make sense to get into at all but like um i've basically uh gotten into effective altruism uh yes. as we as we talked about before um and but that's like, we never talked about it before what is what is that because i still don't really truly understand what you mean by that uh i guess like the simplest way to get at it is like it started basically as like charity evaluation uh maybe like 10 years ago and they were basically like um some charities are 100 times more effective than other ones and uh when you're when you're allocating massive sums of money those differences are get very important um um and it's basically since grown from that into sort of encompassing like uh, arguably an all-encompassing worldview of like what's important especially on the kind of species level not so much on an individual level although it also gets into that if you are into that side of it um but i guess that uh, like that kind of more recently it's taken a term in a turn into like um what's called long termism uh which is basically saying like valuing uh future lives the same as current lives uh and if you uh subscribe to that then a lot of stuff comes out of that like basically like planning trying to trying to make sure like the world doesn't go to hell essentially <clears throat> and what how are you so you're interested in this and you're i guess part of a community there how are you active in this community um actually the ea stuff has almost no overlap with being in new york um i'm yeah. like one of my one of my jobs right now is uh I do I I do like writing and and research and editing for a consultancy uh, that works in the EA space and they are like that's like a guy who lives in uh, I think it's Bristol uh, and another guy a Russian guy who I think is in Istanbul right now um, and so it I mean it's all that's just remote um, and that's how that's the main way I'm involved in it right now. Mm-hmm. um yeah i was i did actually i'm still kind of trying to find a place to live uh i'm in an airbnb right now um and i i posted in like a forum about like looking for a roommate uh thinking like it maybe it'd be fun to like live with someone who is also into the same stuff and uh so far that's i don't think that's happening <laughs> 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 um but wait so let's go back to the original question of uh are you doing any writing in new york you said that that's oh in your time away um yeah so it's it's interesting i don't know yeah anyway the short answer is yes totally totally i am doing writing here and um in some ways like i would say it's it's an extension of um uh, like LA, like I was in LA for a year before this and, um, I kind of hated it and didn't have an amazing time, but, um, weirdly it was kind of an amazing creative time for me. Partly I think 
because like my social life was just non-existent <laughs> i mean that's i shouldn't i don't want, i'm also i'm like yeah i had friends and i don't i had some nice times with friends and i don't want to mm. um but uh in general like not a lot was going on and i had a lot of time to myself and uh and it really kind of forced me back into like um what do i think is important and like what what is like meaningful to me uh and yeah i think some good stuff came out of that and i'm still sort of on that that same tip of being like basically like divorced from previous contexts um and having to kind of like reinvent what i what's important to me but what does that mean exactly um so like specifically i guess like you know so like you know for just for example like when i was in toronto uh and more kind of like actively within that like writing community you know i'd keep up with like what everyone else was keeping up with and talking about and stuff um and when i was in la i wasn't i didn't have that really also my day job was like coding and you know i was kind of like being pulled away from the literary world um so anyway so one thing i got into was like Alison Bechtel, who's been like a longtime favorite. And uh, um, I had read the first half of Are You My Mother, like when it came out, which is like almost 10 years ago, or maybe is 10 years ago. Um, but I finished it and I was reminded of how much I like her. And I like that book is like, it's sort of like half. I did. Have you read it? Do you know this book? No. Um, it's like a memoir about her mom. Um, um, her, her first book was like a memoir about her dad who had died. And that was kind of like, uh, that's fun home. And that's like also incredible, probably slightly better even than, uh, are you my mother? But it was in a way, like you could see it was a little bit easier to tell the story because he was dead. There was like an end to it. And she could just like talk about her childhood and growing up and stuff. So the second one about her mother, who's still alive, and they talk every day, uh, was like an ins like this sort of masterpiece of like structure, like structuring a story. Like how do you, what is the story of one's mother, and like how do you like make a book out of that? Um, and she leans very heavily on like other texts. So in that book, like especially. Uh, to the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf and um, some therapy stuff like um, Winnicott, especially, uh, who was like the same like era of like London, like teen, like 19 uh, teens and 20s and stuff. Mm. Um, and yeah, I guess that like kind that got me into like, I got a book on Melanie Klein, who's like a um therapy person like a uh descendant isn't the right word like a uh uh a, a disciple adherent i don't know like uh someone who came after freud and was influenced by him yeah um so that and i like i read some like therapy books and stuff and that kind that all kind of like bled into each other those things and that 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 started to influence my writing more than like fiction mm -hmm. like therapy therapy type stuff so i guess <clears throat> what i'm hearing i guess i'm hearing kind of two different things one is that it sounds like you uh since leaving toronto and coming to la you kind of divorced yourself to a certain degree from writing in the literary world but then also uh, would you say that writing is sort of like on the back burner for you right now? A little bit. Yeah. And, uh, but also that you're very inspired by these pieces of writing. Um, so, you know, yeah, what it is, is, um, or this isn't the whole picture, but like, I put a lot of pressure on myself and I, and I, you know, get upset that I am not producing more and, that my work isn't as good as I want it to be. And um, like being 
having like one foot or maybe a, a couple feet in like other worlds and other sort of value systems and communities uh for me personally um really kind of like alleviates some of that pressure and mm. makes me like able to take like fiction uh less seriously and like my own efforts less seriously which is for me uh helpful yeah i remember um whenever the legion lonely came out <clears throat> which was an essay you did for hazlitt was it yeah um about uh loneliness in men um when that came out i remember that i remember you made maybe you made a post or maybe we talked about this but that was it got a lot of praise it was one of the best it was one of the most read essays from their website that year um <clears throat> and then you saw almost no financial like anything from it mm -hmm. <clears throat> while you put in so many hours mm -hmm. um to make that and i feel like maybe i'm making too much of an assumption but i feel like that was a really uh, important experience for you to kind of move away from writing a, a little bit. Yes. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In, in, in more ways than one really, okay. uh, because of exactly what you said of like, um, I spent like a, a year and a half on that. I, I, I'd say I, I, I probably did something like a, a master's degree worth of research for that essay um and and spent about the same amount of time as a master's degree uh and yeah and yeah i got uh 1200 um for that uh so that was i mean it but it, it's not like that was it's not like it was just that it's like that's the whole sure. and that's that's also like i didn't know how to write i didn't know you weren't supposed to do that <laughs> or like i didn't know obviously if you take those facts you're like well that's not sustainable and that's like a child would understand that's not sustainable but maybe i thought like well i'll get better at it or something or like i'll m work my way into like higher paying something yeah um but i was never very good at like free like getting freelance landing freelance assignments or whatever yeah. um uh so like yeah the, the money thing was hard but also with that specific essay um I mean, it was like brutally emotionally hard to do, uh, which is partly why it took so long. Um, I had a little quip at the time that it was, it was like doing open heart surgery on yourself. Uh, like it is this, it's this problem that uh, like loneliness, that's like so painful and like, you don't want to think about it. And so to be like, I'll make this my job. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> uh -huh. Like what a what a bad thing to do. What a what a uh unhappiness making thing to do. So I, I but I you know, I don't know. Yeah. And that was, you know, I, I met with um Haley uh Cullingham, uh, editor at Hazlitt about possibly turning that into a book. And I was <laughs> I was just kind of like uh, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't literally like this when we met, I was kind of like, mm, I have some ideas, but internally I was like, I can't do this. I can't make this my thing. Yeah. It's like, I remember you saying a, a long time ago, you were, I think you were covering like, like alt-right things for vice or something. No, one of the last, uh, uh, pieces that I did for vice was that I went to a men's rights rally. And okay. that was like when men's rights stuff started popping up in media and there was like a discussion about whether or not it should be covered at all. Mm -hmm. Like if we ignore it, will it go away? But I went and it was like, I felt so raw when I left that rally that I walked the wrong way home for about 10 minutes hmm. or I realized that I was going the wrong way. And then, um, Anyway, I, it came out and it did well. And I felt like I had been working for Vice, 
in their office like two days a week and writing. They wanted me to do two pieces a week, but I could really only do one. I don't know how freelancers have an opinion on everything. You know, I don't, I really don't have an opinion on anything most of the time. So it was a struggle for me to find things to write about. Mm -hmm. And then when this men's rights thing came up, I was kind of like, this could be my beat. Mm. This could be the thing that I focus on because, uh, it is uh, interesting. It's interesting. And it was something that was really, you know, coming up and that was when incels were beginning. And right. I was like, I could probably do this for a few years and focus on this and write a book about it. Totally. Like I would be in incel chat rooms and like 4chan, like that would be every day. Right. So as much as I could have pulled some like success from that world, I'm really glad that I didn't have to go down that path. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's kind of, it's in, it's similar kind of um, to, to like the loneliness thing, especially like I was like focusing on men. Um, Before we I, continue, can you speak to what that essay was? Oh, it was basically like um, men uh, tend to be lonely, tend, tend to be, I guess, I don't know if I was exactly emphasizing lonelier than women, although that was that was part of it for like some demographics. Um, but yeah, it was like, here's the reason uh, men tend to be, reasons men tend to be lonely. And it was like many reasons. And it sort of like tracked like, early childhood to old age sort of like went through an entire lifespan and different, all kinds of like different, like demographic sectors and like how it affected different, different kinds of people differently. Mm -hmm. um, and also a lot of that, like loneliness came from uh, like a, sort of a rugged individualism, like yeah. homophobia. Yeah. Uh, and also like that sort of loneliness would, sometimes lead to men just dying alone in their apartments because they yeah. had unity and no one was helping them. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. And that's, yeah, that was, I guess, like the, the hook <laughs> at the beginning was like, yeah. like this happens more with men than with women and like, what's the deal. And so that was a path you didn't want to go down. Yeah, I guess I, so I was going to say like, it's kind of similar to your thing, except it's not like it was politically repugnant. It was just really sad. <laughs> it's just like a sad. And also this thing that I mentioned in the essay actually kept like kind of playing in my head as I thought about working on it more, which was that, um, um, and I guess I was, maybe I'm conflating two things, but there, there was this like experiment that people did with monkeys where like, um, they like basically raised them in isolation and then it made them insane essentially. But, but, but the, the like follow on point was that like those, those monkeys who were like, like ill adapted socially, um, all the other monkeys like didn't want to be around them. Um, so like it made them more lonely and it kind of is sort of this spiral effect of like, and and that's and that was is like true of humans too. Like, loneliness is like repellent in people, uh -huh. and uh, I guess I thought like, I don't know. I guess I thought like it's it's more important to try to not be lonely than to than to think about or write about loneliness. Uh -huh for me because also in that uh uh what's the word i'm looking for not effect but in that um situation where there is a, the lonely individual in the community of people who are like well adapted socially um they the well adapted socially uh monkeys or people or whatever tended to become lonely also because the lonely individual would like lash out and yeah. <clears throat> uh, uh, what's the word when you catch it from someone else contagious. 
Right. You remember the thing better than I do, actually. Yeah. It like one lonely person like fucks up a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it um it's kind of like <clears throat> I guess it was probably in some sense like useful in that it helped me get my uh visa, for example. It's kind of like I I I had a pretty bad time um during my MFA, but I got I published a book that I wrote there and I that which was like useful in mm-hmm. some ways so i guess i kind of look at it a bit like that well i'm glad you bring those two things up because those are two things i want to talk about also is um so you did an mfa at uh, uh university of of alabama or in alabama yeah, yeah. yeah. alabama yeah how's that because also like so this is something we've talked about before but there's so many things about your life that I find so interesting that are always sort of like, you kind of hold them back and then you out of nowhere, just say, Oh, I went to university in Alabama. <laughs> it's like, I don't know anyone who went to university in Alabama or would consider doing that. <laughs> um, I know, uh, for good reason. Yeah. I know it's not like a big stretch for someone to do that, but it was a surprise when I found that out. Anyway, why did you choose Alabama? The, okay, the funny thing is Alabama was my top choice of MFA schools. Um, mostly because um, I guess like two things. Like one, they had this program where you taught in prisons that I, I thought looked interesting. Um, um, I never ended up doing it uh be, like of my own choice um pe- um people would come back from like a semester doing that and they'd look like they were just in a war and they would talk like they'd take like a year or like a semester to like decompress or whatever and i was kind of like <clears throat> i don't want i'm i don't i don't want that i'm like i'm busy <laughs> i don't want to get destroyed um uh, and the other thing was there were, um, there were, uh, they, it was long. There were four years of, um, fully funded, uh, fully funded years. Um, yeah. and, and at the time when I was applying, um, that was appealing to me. Uh, once I was there again, it all changed. I was like, Oh, what, like what I'm here for four years. This isn't good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when I was in Toronto, like applying, to things it was my top school yeah. and the funny thing also is like <laughs> if any of you youngsters are out there applying to <laughs> schools or whatever or anything the funny thing is that in my application i wrote like th- this is my top choice and in none of my other applications to any other schools did i write that hmm. in retrospect i'm like well that's the easiest lie that you could like, why wouldn't you say this is my top choice? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But how was Alabama? It's well, okay. So, you know, it's always, it's always, um, it's always changing, you know, how you interpret the past. Uh, It's just a very small place. uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, college town, very conservative, um, also like weirdly kind of wealthy in a way, like maybe not what you'd expect, like kind of all the rich kids of this, like the university of Alabama is sort of a decent school within that region. So it kind of pulls from like the surrounding States. Um, and like, you know, there are people with money, uh, in the South and they have children and sometimes they send them to that school. Um, but Alabama itself is quite poor. Uh, so like the surrounding area was like very poor. Uh, and then you have these like pretty oblivious college kids uh, as like the most of like the undergrad population. Um, although I, um, my last year, I was, I don't know if I've ever told you this, I was the professor in residence of this like honors college within uh, the university. And that, so I lived in a dorm with these kids. And this was like, they were like the, the like, 
leftist like misfits they were like the it was very cool it was very fun and it was like it was definitely my best year there um it also it was like the 50th anniversary of um this important thing down there which was the stand on the schoolhouse steps which was uh jfk like forcibly um desegregating the university so it was a big deal and they um they did this protest where they protested the fact that the sororities there were still segregated <clears throat> and the mallet that mallet was the name of the uh the honors college they they kind of like organized that and led that um uh, this like protest and it it was a big deal it's it like kind of like um integrated the sororities and it was in it was like front page of the new york times at the time mm-hmm. um um anyway in general uh i had i had not a great time um and i was going to say the thing about like reevaluating after the fact i've been thinking about that a little bit being here being in new york and thinking like well what exactly cuz you don't you kind of don't know what you're missing unless you go and see what else is out there mm-hmm. and i guess i think like you know i like to i'm a bit of a like networker i guess i like to meet a lot of people and i like to see what's going on in with lots of people mm-hmm. and um and i guess you know i like i like big cities and i like people who are attracted to big cities and the scenes and the energy that go there um and yeah so i guess i you know i i basically felt like i was like kind of under a rock um in Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. But you wrote, you wrote a whole book. You wrote a book that got published, The Jokes. <laughs> yes, indeed. That was your, uh, uh, what was that? Your MFA? The like thesis? Thesis? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because <clears throat> um, I'm not super, uh, I don't know flash fiction very well. That was sort of when I read the jokes, that was my introduction of flash fiction. Um, and I don't think I've read a lot more flash fiction since it's not really uh, a genre that gets a little published a lot. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love it. It's like within the stories, the flash fiction, a lot of them do as much lifting as an entire book would do, but only in like two paragraphs. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Can you speak a bit to the the genre itself? Why did you choose to write flash fiction? Hmm. My normal answer to that is, is like, like the way that book came about, really, it was kind of like a, a, um, a series, like, I was kind of like one thing led to another in this, in this sort of path of least resistance way where like um, I wrote a few of them and then I sent them out and they were like, basically they're like really easy to publish. Like um, especially like online literary journals, which was kind of, I think it was like more booming like a decade ago um, um, would kind of snap them up. Um, I think you know, and like, there were just these like short little, like easy to read things that maybe made sense, especially in the context of like the internet, they're easy to publish. So I basically kept writing them, uh, and they kept getting published. And I, like, actually when I was in Alabama, mostly I was working on like other things. Like mostly I was like trying to write various novels really is what I was spending most of my time on. And like, then I would like take a break and like spend like half an hour writing one of those things. Um, and, but then as it, I got into like my third year or whatever of the program, it was like, well, you need a book to like, that's what, like, that's your thesis. You need to have written a book. And, um, so basically I was like, all right, well, I guess this is my book, whatever, like these things. <laughs> uh, and then, so that was like my thesis. And then, um, so, so really like, 
you know, it did, I don't feel strongly one way or another about it now, but at the time I was like quite disappointed that like that ended up being my thesis. Cause I was really, I'd spent most of my time on other stuff and like, I was quite like felt pretty bad that I hadn't made, uh, hadn't finished any of those things. Um, but, uh, yeah, then I went back to Toronto and I think, I think it was Evan Weber, um, who, recommended I talk to um uh Malcolm uh at uh at uh now book hug um and yeah we met at like something and I actually forgot that I was supposed to be like like pitching him my book or whatever which ended up I think being a good thing because I was just talking to him like a normal person and then at the end of the conversation he was like do you have a book and I was like oh yeah that's I was supposed to (laughs) tell you a book um yeah so that's how that happened right but it's very good I mean you're really downplaying uh you're really downplaying how good it is I think I love it. I've always loved it. I come back to it often. Sometimes I'll lend it to people and people love it. It's very well done. Why haven't you put out a novel? <laughs> uh, because I haven't finished one. I know you've been working on stuff for a long time. Sure are, you, are you a slow, are you slow at writing? Are you a slow writer? Does it take you a long time to no, that's <laughs> among many awful things. That's one of that's one awful thing. I'm not slow. I write fairly fast. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, it's just because I'm stupid, <clears throat> or it's that I haven't finished one, or I just it's not. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm probably maybe God knows why I haven't finished a novel because I don't really, right. you know what I mean. Um, if I knew why I haven't, uh, I would, I would do the thing that I had to do to, to finish one. I do, I, I guess in recent years I've come around to like, uh, I probably have to like loop it into, I have to like loop other people in more like at earlier stages. Um, the thing I'm working on now, um, is if there's any like through line to various projects I've worked on, there's one kind of like thing that keeps coming back. And like, that's what I'm working on now. Uh So I don't really know how to conceptualize that. It's like, whether that's the same book that I've been working on for, um, a larger number of years than I want to say. Really? You want to say the number? Uh, I think it's interesting because I, okay, so this is, I'll tell you why I'm interested in this is because I, because I spent a couple of years working at Vice, I was always, we would have writer meetings. I would pitch something. I would write it. If it did well, um, I would never get any kind of like pat on the back, no praise. They would just be like, okay, so what's next? Mm-hmm. It didn't matter if it did well or not. Mm-hmm. That's sort of like maybe once or twice, like I got, you know, front page of Reddit or something. And my editor might've just been like, yeah, nice. But that was about it. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, had to, at that time, sort of push away any kind of preciousness that I had about my writing and about me as a writer and just like make the work and that's it and put it out and not expect anything from it. And so that was sort of like a, like a boot camp of sorts for me. Where now, when I write, I write pretty fast and I make it as good as I can, as fast as I can. And that just feels normal. And so like, you know, I've been writing a novel and I'm looking to finish the second draft of it right now. Realistically, I've only been practically writing for about eight months. Um, the concept has been kicking around for like maybe two years, but yeah, practically I started writing it in like February. So this is why I'm interested because I don't think I could work on a piece of writing for a number of years that I don't want to reveal. (laughs) 
I feel like personally, I would finish it immediately. And it's difficult for me to conceptualize working on something that long. Well, okay. So maybe this is just as a point of reference, maybe this is why I've been drawn to Alison Bechtel. Um, Cause she writes about, um, she writes about her family and at least in those books, it's sort of like in the, some of it anyways, in like sort of the relatively distant past. And it's sort of like, you know, the, the, the hardest parts of her life. Um, and she's like, she's basically going back and like, I don't know if doing surgery is the right expression, but like doing analysis, like, like, like the events, like she knows if, if something has happened, you know what the event is, but how do you interpret that? Yeah. How do you tell, how do you make a story out of that? And um, I kind of, I kind of returned to a time in my, you know, basically like late teens, early twenties, when just a lot of stuff happened um, uh, with like friends and relationships and, and, uh, and family stuff. Um, like at the time I took a lot of, I was like writing, I was, you know, like the, um, the phrase, like tweeting through it. Like I was like, I was like writing through it. Right. Uh, and so I have like, um, I sort of have all the actual notes which in some ways I now think like it has been almost like counterproductive. Like I know it too intimately, all this stuff. I have like this exact record of many years of my life. Uh -huh. um, and, um, but at the, but at the time, like if I had, if I would, if I was like 22 and I was like, all right, gotta, gotta publish this. Like it would have been just trash and right. I would have, had like no perspective on on it uh -huh. uh, and so i've i guess i've been like learning how to make sense of a lot of things in my past and maybe you're kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about how context changes and shifts as you get older and the things from totally. the you maybe have felt a certain way about become different depending on the context of your present life. Totally. Yeah. Um, yes. And in my case, anyway, I had a tendency when I was younger to think in terms of um, a bit of like, like villainizing people being like this person did something wrong. And so, you know, and being, being motivated by that in the writing, like being like, I'm going to fucking like show that this person did something wrong and mm. that'll show them. Mm. Um, and now like it's, it's been, it's very useful to be like much older now and to think, um, to see it completely differently, to see like, these were like myself and all the people who were around me were like children mm. and we were just like trying our best essentially. Mm -hmm. And I like what I'm doing a lot more than the way I was writing at the time. Right. Cool. Yeah. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. Sure. I don't know if this is really something that will bear a lot of fruit to talk about, but when I met you, uh, you turned me on to the concept of weird Facebook. <laughs> mm-hmm which I'm really grateful for because I was able to um, sort of explore my own literary voice through writing on weird Facebook. And that really helped me to develop a style. I don't think I would have developed a style had it not been for this like public practice. Mm. Um, but um, can you, what was weird Facebook? <laughs> okay. Interesting. You know, actually because i've been like i don't know applying for jobs and whatever and like kind of like updating my linkedin and whatever uh i've 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 been like reminded of i've been and i've been asked to like send piece of writing that's one of the pieces that has like come up 
Mm. And I've recently, like, really, it's only in the last couple of years that, um, so at the time, I was like, weird Facebook is a bunch of people like the, okay, so there's this, there was this analogy with weird Twitter and like weird Twitter was, I don't know, people making jokes on Twitter in this very specific way. Um, weird Facebook was, I don't know how consciously, maybe not at all consciously. Uh, I mean, it did, it did like call itself weird Facebook. So maybe, I, I guess I assume that people like were doing this like as a, in relation to weird Twitter. <laughs> I don't know what I thought it was. It was just people making jokes uh-huh. and being like meme pages. Uh, and being very performative through Facebook. Yes. Yeah. But when I wrote, I guess <clears throat> now I think when I wrote that essay, um, I wrote it uh, for um, uh, my friend uh, Alex, who was like way more like into Twitter than I was at the time. Like I didn't really actually understand, like I just wasn't involved in Twitter at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I actually didn't have the context myself for like what this was and like and like how like i didn't realize that people were doing essentially the same thing on twitter uh and so i don't think i realized how weird it was that people were doing it on facebook like it was this extra level of like uh like bizarre kind of like outsider-ness like weird twitter has since become like um it's i don't know it's like like drill came out of weird twitter yeah yeah yeah. and like that's it's kind of like canon yeah and and some of those personalities are like just like it's shaped like what twitter is now whereas like weird facebook hasn't become anything it was like this weird moment in time that has just evaporated yeah yeah actually it's funny i was just remember i i was in my my uh my room in the in the mallet assembly dorm in alabama one time with a friend uh and i don't remember what like prompted it but we were like taught we were like talking for like an hour or something or or more and like as we were talking i was i just had facebook open on my laptop and was just hitting like add 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 to all these people yeah. who were like i think mostly they were just like suggestions that were popping up right. and that is literally how i got into weird <laughs> right i like wasn't even paying attention i like was barely looking at the screen uh-huh. and then like the next day i was suddenly like in weird facebook <laughs> more path of least resistance yeah Yeah, it really just disappeared and now like twitter is the the thing yeah they're really one out on that yeah but i don't like you know i guess i have a broader question about social media but i really liked i'm i'm so upset that facebook became what it became because like because of the character count on facebook you could write so much more and i don't find the I find the limit of characters on Twitter to be very restrictive in regards to how I write. And it's really difficult to, uh, to engage with it. But um, how much do you think, do you think social media is necessary for the job of being a writer? This is a question I see come up on Twitter often. It's because people are just like, I would be objectively happier if I wasn't on this website but I need to be on it because I write books and I need to talk about my books and I need to uh, create a persona that people will follow so that I get a big follower count and then I'll sell more books. Mm-hmm. But do you think it's necessary? I guess I have a couple of thoughts on that. Like for me personally, I'm so far away from um, being, I mean, I, there's a part of me that wants fame and success or whatever, but, but that's not actually like what drives me. It's not like why I do the stuff I do. And so I'm really motivated by like, I want to make good work. Um, and also apparently for me, that takes a really long time. 
And so, you know, I basically don't, I'm like, well, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't pay attention. I don't use social media because of, for like writer career purposes. Um, whether that, I mean, I'm not, but I'm also not a best-selling writer. So, you know, I, uh, but I guess what I also, like, I just read this thread that this guy was like, uh, <clears throat> I created this account like a month ago and here's how I went from like zero to 10,000 followers. And especially um, I have seen personally, like, like since the pandemic, like a lot of people, like I'm surrounded by accounts that like started in 2020 or later. Huh. Um, and that has kind of made me see like, uh, like if you wanted to like follower max or whatever, like, I don't, it probably doesn't make sense to like just grind like away on that, like every day for years, for your whole life. Like if you were, or maybe like, maybe if you're on more on like my schedule where it takes you a million years to write a book, maybe once I have a book, then it would make sense to be like, uh, to just to game it like in a short period of time. Because I, you know, I'm sure you've probably seen these threads that are like, here's how you gain followers or whatever. And I think they're, I think that's right. Like basically being consistent and like, um, you know, kind of like staying, sticking with a brand or whatever. And like, you know, there's all kinds of little um, things uh, that I think if you wanted to, and I, and I've done it myself actually at times, like where I'm like, okay, I feel like I want to have my more followers. And so I've like done, I like done things that like get you more followers and it, and it does work. Um, so I guess, yeah, I would say my, my, and again, I'm not, I don't have a million followers and I'm not particularly good at, especially Twitter. I've become terrible at Twitter. Um, but it, it makes sense to me to like do, do that in like spurts, mm -hmm. especially if it's not, especially if you don't want to, if you're not inclined to be on it all day. But like getting followers, does that really lead to anything? Uh, <laughs> like I think I think a lot of people in the writing world, especially people who just want to publish books, um, might have this con concept that the more followers you have, the more people you're able to reach, and then the more books you'll be able to sell. But I'm skeptical as to whether or not that. Uh, uh, holds, what's the term? Holds water, holds weight. I don't remember the, yeah. what it holds. Honestly, I, I'm not really sure. Um, and if anything, like, I guess one thing that does seem to be true right now is like book talk is pretty important for book sales. Right. Um, I don't know if I've like, that seems kind of like definitely true. Uh, and I don't know if I've seen anything similar that is as like incontrovertible as that. Yeah. So like, if you're worried about, yeah, I mean, yeah, when I, the next time I have a book out, I will definitely think about that. And that's that, but that, you know, that's, that might not necessarily mean being on TikTok yourself, but just whatever, doing what you can, if there is anything to do to have other people talk about your book. Mm -hmm. So what do you got going on in the future? You're living in New York because you've been moving around a lot. Like I move around a lot too. Yeah. You have any concept of home? What's home for you right now? I guess like, you know, the closest thing probably is, um, I mean, I, I, I think I mentioned this to you in private conversation. I, I spent a week in Toronto um, just before coming here. Hmm. Um, and had a really nice week. I think I've been, I was, I was pretty anti Toronto for a long time. Um, especially, yeah, when I was, when I was living there, I wanted to get out. Um, but my whole, like the life that I was living at that time and the, a lot, I guess a lot, maybe not a lot. Some of the people are gone um um and that's also i just like the people i chose to hang out with 
when I was there. Uh, like I hung out with a cousin I hadn't seen in 20 years. Oh. Um, and it was really nice. Oh. I have like family in Toronto. Um, I hung out with a few people that I've known for a really long time. Uh, and it was really nice. Uh -huh. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm probably, I wouldn't hate it if I ended up back in Toronto, I think. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Last question. Do you ever consider growing a big beard? <laughs> I think you'd look good with a great big beard. Um, I've never really considered it. No, <laughs> but maybe I will. Maybe yeah. I will. All right. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Uh, cool. Um, yeah. Good to talk to you. Yeah. Good to talk to you.